The scripture for tonight's sermon is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you may have noticed that the text is the same as, as what uh, Drew preached on a few weeks ago. He made a remark to me. He said, are you going to correct what I said? And I certainly am. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And, and because this, we're actually in one of the densest theological passages in the Bible. I mean, there's so much truth in theology and, and, I, and, uh, and packed in here. You could preach on this endlessly. And uh, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones preaches, I think he preaches almost 12 sermons out of the, just these few verses. So just be thankful. Uh, I'm not that. I, uh, I was, I was, when we, uh, some of you have been in my, our new, our new house, and uh, I'm really, I'm really thankful for God's blessing uh, of this, of this home, and I'm uh, really, really kind of excited about it. It was, it was a God thing, uh, and Natalie uh, had predicted, she told me when we were looking for a home, looking for a house last year, she said, Every story she knew of believers in the city, it was always a God thing. There was always God showed up somehow uh, to make it happen. And that's definitely what that's definitely what happened. At one point during our with our realtor, we were talking, and and we and, and this turn of phrase was used that I that I had heard my my, my uh, sister-in-law use. Well, you know, don't you think this would make a great forever home? Have you heard that expression? A forever home. A forever home. And I, I remember uh, uh, just kind of agreeing, like, yes, this would be a great friend. And, and the minute I said it, I mean, maybe not the minute, maybe it was maybe an hour later. And the minute I said it, I, I felt a little bit of pull in my heart, like, I'm not sure I should talk that way about any physical home in this world. Because <laughs> it just isn't true. It's not going to last forever, and I'm not going to last forever in it. And, and so, it, there's a, it, it, in a sense, it simply isn't true. But, but worse than not being true, it, it's... it's, it's, it's um, it's delusional in one sense. It's it distracting as in another sense. It, it pulls away from a much deeper and more significant truth, right? My, my, my sister-in-law, Michelle, she always talks about her desire for a forever home. <laughs> and, I, I, and, and she's been blessed. And her, and her, my brother, uh, he's very successful. And I mean, they lived in, um, they lived in, um, in one of those downtown, uh, downtown uh, uh, 1700s uh, townhouses. Oh, beautiful home. We all thought that's got to be their forever home. And that didn't work. <laughs> and then they moved into a, a, a 17, uh, uh, something from the 18th century, an 18th century country farmhouse. <laughs> out of the rural Pennsylvania, in the rolling hills of, out towards Lancaster. That didn't settle as a forever home either. And then uh, there was one house, I didn't even get a chance to see it except in pictures, but it was featured in Home and, home and Garden as, a, as one of the most beautiful, beautiful homes and gardens in, uh, in the entire uh, uh, Philadelphia area. That's saying something. 
And uh, that still wasn't their forever home. Forever home. It's such a, doesn't that trigger kind of a sense of longing in you? Like a sense of desire? Uh, uh, doesn't, that, doesn't that ring a bell? It doesn't, that, doesn't there something about that you find a bit compelling? The idea that you or I or we could have together a forever home. I, I think that, and you may think, I, oh gosh, I know where Chris is going with this. I don't know if you do. I don't know if you do. Because... What I'm, I'm interested in where this text takes that idea and takes it to talk about our God. Now, when I, now we've, been, we've been looking here, and I, something I've been excited about in the, in the prepositions of, of, um, of Paul, these prepositions of glory, one of the things we talked about was, remember the Trinity being involved in prayer? Remember that? We, we, through him, through Jesus, we have access by one spirit to the Father. And we have this idea that we get to our knees and we're in our knees before God. In the moment of prayer, we are activating all of God's Trinitarian eternity in our prayer life. And I, and I actually embarrassed a few people. I think I did this at, I think I did this at Trinity that morning too. I, I was talking, I, I had three people stand up and I had, you know, and the idea that when this wonderful idea in the prepositions that we're being invited into God. We're being, we're being invited into God, and all these in him prepositions are just inviting us to believe and to trust that somehow, mystically and, and amazingly and eternally, we are located, we can locate ourselves in the Trinity itself. In, in, not in the Trinity, but inside those three, in, in, in their embrace, as it were, in their fellowship. In their relationship. It's amazing. God, chill out. It's incredible. And then, but Paul, Paul is, Paul's aggressively moving here with these ideas. But then, at the, in this verse 22, today, this verse 22, I, I remember when I jumped up to go write this down when it came to, but verse 22, in verse 22, I thought, wow, something, something really hit me. In him you also. Now look at the you also there. That's actually not a great way to say that in English because it sounds like it's saying you also along with others. That's not what it's saying. He's been talking about the, the, the bridge between Gentiles and Jews the whole time and we are one, we are one. Remember four times in this text it says we are one in him. So but in him you, it would probably better be translated, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place. And this is, this is where it gets different. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, did you catch the shift that just happens there? I was talking about you being welcomed into God. By the way, I want to welcome you into God. I want to welcome you to put your trust in God. I, that's part of my job is to call you, to invite you to, into the love of God and, and into his welcome embrace. That's, that's one of my privileges, one of my joys. But something's flipped here. And Paul, I think, is climactically racing to this last point. He wants to get to this last point because he flips the paradigm. It is not about us being in God. No, 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 no. It's about God living in us. So what's the point here? We are God's forever home. He who dwells in forever, <laughs> he, who, he who himself is eternal, has looked upon us and, and said, no, no, this is, this, is my this is my living place. This is the place I will live. This is my address. This is, this is where I am going to, 
This is my hope. You are God's. I mean, what you hear you is plural. Y'all. The southern gospel returns. Y'all. God's forever home. That is what that text is saying. In fact, this is going to launch. I got, how I can prove this? If you go to chapter 3, and you get to the end where he's, after his prayer, he's talking about how, for this reason, that he has, a, he has a little thing about his mystery of how he's been in charge. And then he said, but for this reason, he repeats it twice. Twice he says, for this reason. And it's all back to this, God dwelling in us. Because he talks about us having all of the fullness. He, Filled with all of the fullness of God. And the idea that's being presented, espoused, and, and proved, and, 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 and offered to us is even greater. Than, <laughs> it's, it's more mysterious than I... It's not merely come to God. No, no, no. It's God saying, I, you, first press, Trinity, Trinity first. By the way, there must have been a bunch of churches, Trinity and First, that joined because that, that name is actually all over the country. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But anyway, Trinity First, you are my forever home. That's what that text is teaching. And that's extraordinary. Now, but you know, it's funny. It, we're, we're <laughs> forever home. Forever home. You know, it's funny because it, it, it's the trajectory of the whole scripture. There's a redemptive history when it comes to this word temple. God's first, he sets up a tabernacle. What's a tabernacle? Tabernacle is a big tent, really big tent. And God elects to have a tent. Why does God choose a tent? Why does God choose a tent? Because his people were living in tents. And as they set up, they actually, you know, they set up a, an actual community. And, you know, they actually had directions. Reuben and Manasseh and Gad over here. Judah and Issachar and Zebulun over here. Le all, and who was in the middle? Who's right in the middle, wherever they went? The tabernacle being carried by the Levites. God was always about making us, his people, his forever home. <laughs> it gets better. As you know, David one day, he says, why does, my, why does my God live in a tent when we all live in houses now? <laughs> he noticed it. He noticed that there had been a change and, and people of God were no longer living in tents. They were no longer nomads, right? They had settled down. They had houses now. And he said, I want to build you a house. And God said, no, 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 you can't. It's not your job. I won't let you do that. And it's his son that winds up building it. But why does God choose? By the way, Jerusalem is almost right in what? The center of Israel. The old maps from Dan to Beersheba. But, but, but what does God choose to live in? Because his people now live in homes. He's going to live in a house. What's the, what's the message? What's the, what's the echo? What's the, what's the trajectory? What's the, what's the desire here? He wants to make us his forever home. <laughs> He's like reiterating it. He, he puts out furniture. So it's just like your furniture. He, he puts out tables. He, he's, got, he's got rooms. He's got everything we do. As if to say, do you see? As if to say, don't you see? Don't you see? I want to make you, you are my, you are my people, are my forever home. <laughs> uh, you know, in, uh, in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, the Shekinah glory leaves the temple. 
Oh, God leaves the temple. He's tired of the phony worship of his people. But does anybody remember what the eyes, what the eyes are, all the eyes, all the eyes in Ezekiel 1, where are all the eyes? What are they on? It's one of the trippiest visions in the Bible. What are all the eyes covering? Wheels. Big wheels. Ezekiel 1. Wheels. Why did God choose wheels? Well, Ezekiel tells us the exiles were by the Chebar River on their way to Babylon. And all of their life was in what? Their entire, everything they belonged, everything they knew, everything they had was what? It was in wagons. And wagons have wheels. What's God's point? You are my forever home. Where you go? Even though they're going under his judgment, even though they are under the direct discipline of God, he will go with them. They are his forever home. <laughs> the trajectory, you know, I was thinking about this. Okay, I, but don't you see? Oh my goodness, I just gave you redemptive history. I gave you history from somewhere around 1800 BC to, to, 400, to, to 600 BC. Okay, that's a, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. But J Paul is eager that you understand this is a much bigger project. This is a much, much bigger project to God and a much deeper desire than happened across that space of time. Because in Ephesians 1, what did he tell us? Before the foundations of the world, what did he choose? Well, how did he choose us? What did he, cho he was choosing us, but he was choosing what? Before the foundations of the world, he had his eye on what? His forever home. <laughs> oh, what a God. This is the revealed truth of Scripture. And there's something about it that I think find arresting and, and beautiful and inviting and, and awe-inspiring. And it has always been his desire and his plan and his work to make us his forever home. I, that's the theology of the day. I, and, and I, 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 I want to begin every week now that, that we, I, I want to, I'm proving this from the text. That this is what this text is teaching. This is the revealed truth of God. And I hope you hear in it some delight for your own heart. And, some, and, and can't you even, you know, like Michelle, or like, yeah, don't you get, I can get why he wants a forever home. That's what I want. <laughs> it's the same thing you want. It's the same thing we want. It's, we're made in his image. It, all of it starts to make more and more, it starts to lock together like Legos. <laughs> because it all fits, it all fits together. It all has a fitment to it that makes sense to us. It's kind of joyful, sweet. And really, really causes us to praise God. We, you know, it's funny, I, I, uh, we, we, we actually did this. And Isaac, Isaac Watts was famous for this kind of thing. In the song... The song we sang earlier, My God, why would you shed your blood so pure and undefiled to make a sinful one like me, your, prosen, your chosen precious child? Questions like that haunt me. Why would God shed the blood of his son for you and me? In this point, in, in what kind of, to me, the existential question, the kind of the raw question that presents itself as I present to you the aim and direction of an eternal and desire of an eternal God, what kind of gets me in that is that, well, why? <laughs> why? Why does he want to live with us? You could, uh, if you were to question my wife, you'd say, well, why does he want to live with him? 
you know, or any one of us. I, it seems to me like the height of narcissism, in one sense, for us to, for us to even claim it, to even say, you know, like, let's, let's be honest, okay? We, we, we have a grasp now, as, 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 sci- as scientific people, we have a grasp, it's right within our grasp, to see the, the age and size of the universe. And it is so mind-numbingly ancient, and so unconceivably huge, and God has regard for you, he wants you or me. He wants our company. He looked across all of that and sees and, and creates us to be his forever home. I, I, doesn't, that, doesn't that alarm you? I mean, in one sense, on the outside, that's almost kind of preposterous. I guess, what? How do you square that? With, with, with a God like this. You know, that's what, I, that's what comes to me. You know, as I was thinking about it, though, I, this is the point at which it's just, we're, we're at the end of questions, right? We're at the very limit of what questions can do. How do I know what animates our God? And how, how do I know? But he gives us some clues. He gives us a clue about the, 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 how, how this would increase his glory beyond, you know, scale. God is very into scale. And when he takes his own scale across space and time and then says, look how I have loved and set my forever home in, this, in, these, in these insignificant people, what does that do? It, it enlarges. The, 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 the pure claim of his love is, is stupendous. It's mind-boggling itself then. That's a, there's a lot of glory in there, right? a lot of glory for him. But the scriptures are, go even further. In Ephesians 1, it says it was out of his mere, it was out of his good pleasure that he chose. And all of a sudden we're introduced to a God that, that is, just surprises us. He, he's delighted in the idea of a forever home, and so he decided to make one. <laughs> and then he set all of us to be what that home would be. Wow. And what I'm confronted by in that, in that kind of that existential question, how could he possibly, how could he possibly want to be a home with me? We can't even figure out how to be a home together and look at our wretchedness, look at our failure, look at our, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him. He has chosen a forever home for himself, for his glory, and out of his mere delight. And you know what we're suddenly confronted with? We're suddenly confronted with a God who's not a force. We're confronted with a God who's a person. Only persons have delights, right? Only persons are concerned with glory. Gravity doesn't seek a home. Only persons seek a home. We are suddenly, almost unexpectedly, faced with a very, very, very personal God. Inviting us. Inviting us into that personal knowledge. Inviting us into into his home, into his heart. And inviting himself in to us <laughs> as a whole. I'm eager, if you don't know God, that you, you, you hear and, and you perceive, and perhaps in your heart you'll burn, you'll hear it, you'll perceive to portray to you a God that is not like the God you read about in, in philosophical books. We're <laughs> not the God of which people make little idols. or, or made, This is not the God made up by humans. This is a God who's revealed himself. He's totally and utterly unique in all of the pantheon of any God who's ever been. He is the one from eternity who sets himself to love a people. <sighs> and to make a home. Make us a home for himself.
Even where he calls himself our inheritance. There's so many different ways he describes it. We are his forever home. I, and so this isn't narcissism. This isn't simply self-importance that says, well, I have a God who makes me his home. We have a God who makes us his home. Look how special we are. <laughs> Not far from it. No, it, it, it portrays a God who says, who confronts us with, serve me, love me, know me. And you will know me if you are known by me. <sighs> wow. This is a God we don't expect. At least it's not the God I expect. <laughs> it's not the God you could predict or anticipate. And then we get a falls out of this. And this is where Paul he really goes to town later in chapter 3 and in verse, in chapter 4, etc. Because this now creates all sorts of moral obligations for this place. Like all sorts of things now are active, you see. If this is his the home he chooses for himself. And, and there, some of them are, uh, are very, uh, some kind, kind of come kind of pretty easily to us. We'll see them pretty quickly, but let's put it right out there. Contempt for the church is contempt, personal contempt for God. There's no way around this. Indifference to the church, callous attitudes to leave the church, to deny it because it hurts you, or all, whatever the case may be. These are all shams. They're all offenses, and they're deeply personal. Because who, who likes, who wants somebody who trashes their forever home? You know, we, we started putting little signs on people's uh, cars because they keep blocking our driveway. <laughs> We're like, if you do not watch the curb, you will be ticketed in tow. We've been doing that lately. And every time I do it, every time I put a little note on somebody's car, I think, you know, I'm going to do this to the wrong person one day, and they're going to throw a brick through my window. You know? Why would they do that? Because they know every homeowner takes it personally when you hurt their home. They do. There's no way, there's no way I wouldn't take that personally if somebody threw a brick through my window or spray painted my house or anything like that. Because I, I'm aware that me exercising my, my might make somebody angry. But how, do they, can, how can they get at me personally? They can hurt my home. My house. Because how would I not? And I want you to hear this again. I mean, here, you, know, you know, you're always in danger as a pastor. That you're trying to get people to be serious about church because it's good for your career. Oh, it is. Yeah, it does help me out if you're all serious and good about church. And, and, uh, but let me die to that. Go to another church then. <laughs> but whatever you do, love the church you are in and do not show contempt for it. And, 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 I, and I'll go a little further than this. And don't talk bad about the church, especially to people outside it. I mean, people don't know God. You're slurring the one who calls it his eternal home, his forever home. And, you know, it's very popular. I remember the first time I went to, I noticed that at Presbytery, you know, and you'd be with a bunch of pastors, and, and everybody likes to talk talk smack about their about their people you know <laughs> complain it's like a big complaint session sometimes not always don't get me wrong but uh but it can be a big complaint session that's not what we should be right uh be careful about that honor his forever home honor him you know and i want to go further than this i was complaining to, to, i was complaining to my brother Corey today and i have an old I have this old conceit I've been I've said it a few times over the years, you may have heard me say it. And it's got something like this. 
I don't know why. I don't know why the demonic kingdom bothers to harass me or our church so much. I mean, look at us. We're just small potatoes. You know, we're, we're, what's the big deal here? You know, my, you know, and then I made the, I think I made the crack today. You know, of, uh, you know, one of my my finest graces is false humility, and so you know, and, and I just make a joke out of it. And it occurred to me that the demonic frenzy about any church that is truly a church has nothing to do with the people inside. Nothing at all to do with us. It's because this is our Father's forever home. And the satanic kingdom hates it with all of its might. Because he lives here. Because he calls it at home. He calls you and me together, our home, his home, his forever place, his cherished possession, his place to warm himself and to warm us. And oh, what a beautiful picture to pour out of this as the family of God comes together. But you hear it. I want you to hear it again. And I realized, I was telling Corey this, this is, it just kind of made me realize again that, it, it, that that's, a, that's a stupid thing for me to say. <laughs> it's just a dumb thing to say. Because the demonic kingdom hates the church. Because, of course, they hate our Father's forever home. Of course they do. And just like I'm worried about that, the guy who I'm telling not to, not to park on the curb in front of my house, they, they want to they, they destroy. Um, you know, God says to Samuel, when Samuel's moping about how the people want a king, and, 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 and God's very tender with him, Samuel. He's really tender with him. And because Samuel's up all night, and he's, he feels betrayed, abandoned, criticized, condemned. He wasn't sufficient. He wasn't the leader they needed. And what does God say to him? Because I've said all those things leading the church. <laughs> what does God say to him? It's not you they reject. Don't take it personally that the satanic kingdom wants to mess with you or wants to mess with us. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the fact that this is his home, his lovely home, his homely home of the king. Third, and I guess, you know, it, it, this, is where, this is where we get back to what's important. This is what, we are a sacramental presence. I, I, you know, we, we do the table, and we rightly do the table, and, and, and the body and blood of our Lord, and we do baptism. But don't you know, we are the author of grace to this community we're in. We are the sacramental presence of God. He has set up a home in San Francisco, a number of homes, in fact. And they are his, they are his forever home. The church itself is his forever. And we are the offer of grace. We are the offer of the king to people to come home, right? To come back home to their heavenly father. To return home. You know, the saddest thing about... My, Michelle, is that I know the home she's looking for. It's the one we have already. It's the one not made by human hands. We have a sacramental duty, a sacramental responsibility, a sacramental charge. How dare we treat worship with such casual contempt? I don't mean like casual, like dressing casual. I don't give that. I'm talking about, I don't know if I'll go today. I don't want to bother. Yeah, I'm tired of Bible study. I'm tired of these community. I don't want to deal with this. I don't know what to, I don't I want to go someplace where I don't have to get, I don't know much, not so much as demanded of me. You know? Not so much, whatever excuses we make and however we become consumeristic about the church. But hear me in this. 
A consumeristic church and a sacramental church cannot both exist at the same time. And I think that's not, a consumeristic church is all about what can you get and what can we give you? How can we serve you so you come back and give us more money? Let's be careful. We are a sacramental offering, the presence of grace. It also means this, we're greater than the sum of our parts. When we look around, and I mean, like I said before, the sum of our parts would lead you wonder, uh, the sum of the parts you see, <laughs> the sum of the parts you would see, right? What about the description here in the text of being a holy temple? I said, showing contempt for, uh, the, uh, it's a holy temple, verse 21. Uh, uh, contempt for the church is contempt for him. Uh, let me let me be further here. Bad reports and gossip, bad reports about each other, gossip about one person or another, or scurrious words, or criti- critical heart and a critical spirit of other people in the church. You know, this is no place among the people of God. I, lo- I remember a teacher years ago saying, look, there's gospel and there's gossip. Gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. Gossip is the bad news about Mary. Or fill in the blank. <laughs> Whoever it is you want to. They don't exist in the same mouth. And we must be vigilant in our Father's home, right? It's his eternal, it's his, it's his forever home. And our holiness, the holiness of our, of our effect, you know, holiness, of, like just being flaky with each other, right? Just the flakiness sometimes we can engage with each other. It's like, you know, not, not it, that has no place amongst the holy people, does it? I don't think so. Not in what God is saying about this place, this us together. You know, it's funny, we, we need to, he's going to say this at the end of chapter 3, going into chapter, going into, especially in chapter 4, about putting away petty differences, learning how to bear with each other in love, learning how to be demonstrate love when we're irritable. You know, one of the, one of the biggest challenges to church is just how much we get on each other's nerves. You know, come on, give me some love here. We get on each other's nerves, don't we? We get irritable. I, people don't, people don't, we don't like the way, they don't like their personalities. And, God, God has made us his forever home. A place to be a demonstration of love, kindness, and forbearance, and patience with, with people. Just pace, let's face it. You know, Christians can be irritating. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. Preachers can be irritating too, I've been told. You can laugh at that. And you know, it's funny, and I'm going to get down to this, and, and, and this is actually in the text. Take a look at it in verse 21. There's a there's a word there, uh, the soon words are going to be used by Paul. These are the with words and the together words. And they're very popular in Ephesians. They're more in Ephesians. Uh, Greek is like German, by the way. If anybody has any German uh, experience with German. But in German, you just simply add more and more little words to a word to make it really, really long. <laughs> it's very common. Well, it's very, it's Greek's the same way. You do these big compound words. And, and, there, and, and he uses this compound of with all the time in Ephesians because it, it's the book about unity, about what the quality of God's forever home is amongst the people together. And I want to call your attention to this because it's to two things that I think will we'll, we'll, we'll be done today. Uh, I guess I need my text here. Uh, let's take a look here. But in verse 21, 
I love the, some of the dimensions of this really come clearly to me. Have you, ever heard, have you ever heard the tension between is the church an organism or is the church an organization? Have you ever felt that tension yourself? Because like, like when I start talking about forever home, I, that's like, like it, well, wait a second, Chris. Homes have rules. Actually, this is in some sense an answer to Drew's sermon because Drew preached about us being a household. And that is one of the words in this text. It's a household word, the word for household. But now we're going further than that. Forever homes is a, is, a different kind of, is a different kind of way of talking about it, right? Well, right here, the organism and organization are actually in view. And I want us to be encouraged by it. Look, look at here in verse 21. In him, the whole structure, it's oikodomo. It means construction project <laughs> is being joined together. And that's another work, that's another, that's another um, fitting word. It's the idea of things being fitted together, being, being crafted to be fitted. And, and these are the words, these are the words for, for construction, for organization. These are organizational words. They're, they're words of work and labor and putting together. And, and then what's the next word? Grows. <laughs> now what's grows? Nobody, nobody, no construction manager talks about how the project, well, maybe I talk about the project grows, maybe, but it doesn't know how the building grows, <laughs> because buildings don't grow, they, they're constructed. So which is it? So which is it? And I want you to see here some of the flavor. You know, I, I, sometimes churches that are more organized can be criticized of churches that aren't, and sometimes churches that are less organized are more critical of the ones that are, and, and as, as if that's less holy or we're more holy or whatever. All these different But to hear this, hear this in the beauty of the text here, in the beauty of the way the, 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 the experiment is, or this great project that God is on of, of crafting and building is happening. And I just love this because haven't you ever noticed just how many different kinds of forever homes God seems to like <laughs> and how different they can be? You know, Ted and I were talking about the difference between his brother's church and our church. They're radically different. Are, could they possibly both be forever homes? Forgot? Yes. Yes. Be careful about, 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 about making distinctions like that. Because these texts himself, Paul himself, arms us with all these images that really give us a breadth that we can look at and look at with joy and realize, oh, there's so many ways that God is making his forever home. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your words. <laughs> I just, it, you know, to see in this text that this is what it says. This is how it, it describes to us your heart for us. And, and I, I, sometimes, I, sometimes I'm so unprepared for your heart for me and for us is going to be like that. I, like, what? I, what? Us? And it had nothing to do with who we are, but everything to do with who you are. And, I, you know, and there, we sang tonight, uh, in your arms are 10,000 charms. This is totally and utterly charming that the eternal God, you, our Father, are seeking us as a forever home. We thank you that this happens through Jesus and his body and his blood and his work on the cross. Father, we ask tonight, uh, if anybody is still um, wandering around the outside of the house, skulking in the doorway maybe, not sure if not sure if your home is their home yet. Would they, would they, would they be, we, I pray we'd be welcoming. <laughs> They'd be welcomed in. Would you invite them in? 
into your heart, into your hearth, into your work, into your plan, into your love, into your choosing. We pray for that. We pray for that, Father. And, and, and we pray that we pray what, what kind of sacramental offering are we to this city? Would you make us more and more a, a home? I, well, we, we, know, we know one of the biggest problems of our city is, is the un, our unhoused neighbors. And you know, it's not about whether they have a house or not. Your own son never had a house. It, that's not the point here. But I know the one thing they do need more than anything is a home. This kind of thing that you have built and made and made us, and <laughs> you have sought across space and time, that you thought through the history of your redemptive history of your people, that you sought before time was a thing, before time was time. Father, would you, would you make this, make this um, teaching alive to us? Uh, forgive us for the contempt we have shown to your home. Um, ch- um, uh, and, uh, teach us how to be a home together. Uh, reveal your glory here, uh, and, and let us taste and see it. Father, protect us from the demonic attacks that are so fast and furious, and, and, and take care of us, Father. We, we, we're, I, we know we're not collateral damage in this, because we're, we're, we're your children. We're your children, but now we realize why, why we get railed against so much. Because, boy, does he hate, boy, do they hate your home. Give us perspective on this. Give us new, new passion for church. New, new uh, joy in church. Uh, new, maybe even just a new kind of church. Come and get glory from your people, Father. I, I, it's actually, at the end of this, this, chat, this next chapter, you're going to say, do you want glory in the church forever? Well, Father, <laughs> do you want glory in the church forever? Come and get it. Come and get it from us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.